0: Welcome, friends, to a bonus episode of the Bytewing Games Podcast, a podcast where we talk about board games we love to play and we're thrilled to bring to life. This episode is a publisher diary titled Reiner Knizia's Zuvadis, How to Breathe New Life into a 30-Year-Old Classic. So let's dive right into it. My name is Nick Murray, and you are listening to the Bytewing Games Podcast. If an old game has a user rating of 6.5 on BoardGameGeek, is it even worth reprinting? Many publishers would likely, and justifiably, say no. Why bother fighting an uphill battle of convincing today's gamers that such a design is fresh and exciting when there are higher rated classics or entirely new concepts that don't come with potential baggage? On the other hand, some publishers have built their entire company on this challenge and been very successful at it. Just look at Restoration Games, who has taken games like Top Race, which was once rated 6.8 on BoardGameGeek and published in 1996, and turned it into 2017's Downforce, now rated 7.2. Or 1992's Buried Treasure, rated as 6.0 on BoardGameGeek, and turned that one into 2021's Buried Treasure, with a 7.0 rating on BoardGameGeek or 1981's Dark Tower which had a 6.9 rating on BoardGameGeek and turned it into 2022's Return to Dark Tower which has a whopping rating of 8.6 on BoardGameGeek. Of course, publisher Restoration Games seems to have a keen eye for selecting nostalgic titles of the past and preserving that nostalgia as they work their development magic to modernize the mechanisms. But the thing is that these nostalgic games are generally highly thematic. Do dry, old-school, German-style Euros carry the same level of nostalgia? Probably not. To me, marketable nostalgia requires a combination of vivid memories, settings, and sensations, and thus pure mechanisms are a tough sell from the sentimental approach. On top of that, there are some hobbyists who won't even bother touching games that are rated below a 7 on BoardGameGeek. Why should they when there are so many other options that are statistically all the more likely to satisfy their gaming groups? Of course, those of us who are willing and able to put in the extra research, time, and risk will often find hidden gems that become favorites in our collection. For me, those include games such as Stevenson's Rocket, which is rated as 6.9 on BoardGameGeek and was first published in 1999. Then you have 1995's Condotier, which is also rated as 6.9 on BoardGameGeek, or Orango from 2014 rated 6.7, or Municipium from 2008 also rated 6.7, and there are others. The way I look at games that are rated below a 7 on BoardGameGeek is not so much that these titles are subpar or okay at best. Rather, this tells me that a game really works for a lot of folks, specifically fans who rate it at a 7, 8, 9, or 10. Yet for one or more reasons, there is a decent chance that it may not work for everyone, namely those who rate it at like a 5 or lower. But if a sub-7 title presents a mechanism or theme from a creator that I love, then perhaps it'll be right up my alley. So as a publisher, when analyzing and re-implementing a game that falls in this range, this presents an opportunity for evolution. As we've seen recently, a legendary and universally acclaimed game like RAW, rated 7.5 from 1999, merely needs a great new coat of paint and some thoughtful production decisions to soar in today's tabletop crowdfunding landscape. On the other hand, a cult classic such as Quo Vadis, rated 6.5, probably needs a little something more. A couple years back, I found that my appreciation for tabletop gaming was growing exponentially. Part of this was thanks to the fact that I was honing my tastes and preferences and finding plenty of thrilling designs, new and old, to feed my focused appetite. Two of my key preferences include first, Reiner Canizia's design style, that of simple rules, elegant gameplay, layered strategies tense decisions and emergent interactions, and second, negotiation games. So it was only natural that I soon sought out a used copy of the out-of-print game Quo Vadis, the design that fans point to as Kinetia's preeminent take on negotiation. Despite this game appearing as perhaps the world's driest board game, my first play of Quo Vadis was everything I could have hoped for. The competing incentives of racing to the inner sanctum so your points actually matter before you are blocked out versus hanging back to wheel and deal with your opponents to earn laurels or points presented a dramatic, tense urgency within a satisfyingly quick 45-minute romp. In this game of Roman elections, players are aiming to advance their senator pawns up through political committees of various sizes by convincing their opponents to vote them onward through the use of bribes, deals, and promises. The winner will be the player who gets at least one of their senators into the Inner Sanctum and earns the most laurels along the way. In classic Keynesian fashion, the challenge here is about playing your opponents just as much as you are playing the board. It was obvious that when this little box hit the table, it would consistently pack a punch. But that was perhaps the hardest part, getting something so beige to the table when so many vivid boxes on my shelf could excite my gaming groups more easily. On top of that, this 30-year-old design seemed to have developed a bit of an identity crisis over the course of its several reprintings. Variants within the rulebook and online were like an overwhelming, even paralyzing sprawl of menu options. All I wanted to know is what is the best way to play Quo Vadis, With public points or secret points? As a three-act game or one quick round? With a laurel supply quantity tailored to the player count? Or with everything always available? with or without these special discs from the Mayfair edition. That last variant in particular, these special discs, is especially notable because I included it in my second play of Covadis when I introduced the design to a different group of gaming friends. Fortunately, they all seemed to enjoy the game. As for me, I found I strongly disliked this variant. While the special discs appeared to add excitement, presenting players with an additional action option of drawing an exciting ability such as gaining a bonus vote, or cancelling an opponent's vote, or more, I found that they actually detracted from what made Quo Vadis shine. Specifically, the reliance on your opponents, and the negotiations that naturally emerge from this reliance. Quo Vadis is not the only victim of such decades-long tinkering and dilution. On the one hand, these many variants represent a legacy of ideas, creativity, and passion from fans and publishers alike. On the other, they can be off-putting to newcomers who don't want to invest so much energy in eliciting the ideal way to play. So as a publisher who desired to shepherd Quo Vadis into the modern tabletop gaming industry, the main challenge was in seeing through the weeds and truly understanding Quo Vadis. What makes this design special? What do raving fans love about it? Where and why doesn't it click for those who played it and rated it below 7? How can we adapt it to a modern audience and help it to reach its full potential? To answer these questions, I turned to a fundamental tool that is used within the world of business. Although I don't remember everything I was taught while perusing my bachelor's degree in business administration, at least one principle that has stuck with me is the SWOT analysis. It's funny, I always thought that I'd primarily be applying my business education to managing a dental practice. Yes, our publishing company is called Bitewing Games because it was started by two dentists, if you didn't know that, myself and Kyle, but I've actually found myself putting this business experience to use far more frequently as a designer, publisher, and developer of board games. The SWOT analysis, spelled S-W-O-T, is typically used by companies to evaluate their brand or a specific product within its market. It's a way to analyze and understand the internal strengths and weaknesses of the subject, as well as the external opportunities and threats in its industry. For ByteWing Games, I found that it is perhaps our best tool in evaluating, developing, and marketing our games. This is actually a topic that I discussed more thoroughly on an episode of the Board Game Design Lab podcast. While it definitely works for every project we've taken on, the nice thing about doing a SWOT analysis on a game like Quo Vadis is that we have over 30 years of data, primarily from BoardGameGeek's database, to study and learn from. So I did what any sane person would do and consumed it, all of it. I combed through the 800 comments clicked through the 106 forums, soaked in the dozens of reviews, explored the countless ideas and discussions, and collected the numerical data, and presented my findings to the legend himself, Dr. Reiner Knizia. By using the SWOT analysis, we were able to maintain a focused perspective and condense all of this information into something more clear and actionable. Importantly, I restricted my analysis to a single slide. So my presentation to Reiner was actually set up in a PowerPoint, and I'll be talking you through some of the slides here. So this first slide says Quo Vadis SWOT Analysis, and it has listed out the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats with bullet points under each section. So for Quo Vadis, we found that the strengths were pure negotiation and strategy, emergent gameplay, tense decisions, and an engaging arc. The weaknesses of the game were a narrow player count range of three to five players, limited negotiations, a dry presentation, and an overwhelming number of variants. The opportunities in the market included bundling this game with what was then called the Bytewing Games Social Party Pack, something that would increase customer value and industry attention if we bundled multiple games together, as well as a re-implementation of Quo Vadis with a broadened appeal, and the fact that there was a hunger for a reprint that I was noticing online. Finally, some threats in the industry to Quo Vadis included that the game lacked hooks for Kickstarter and marketing, it had many barriers to entry, and then there are other games like Bonanza and Chinatown, which you could technically call competitors within this genre. So, this slide gave us an overhead view of where Covadus was at, as well as where we should take it. Naturally, our main focus was on the weaknesses and opportunities of the game, which we dove into further. So, the first weakness we looked at was the dry look and theme of the game. One pattern that stood out to me while perusing the comments on Covadus was that many players, including myself, found the presentation to be bone dry. This is even considering the fact that Roman senatorial politicking is, in many ways, the perfect fit for the mechanisms of Covadus. The problem is not within the pairing of design and theme, rather it is within the presentation and crowdfunding appeal of such a game. So how do we moisten up this good old game in a way that attracts newcomers, yet doesn't ruffle the feathers of longtime fans? Well the answer is simple, that's not possible. (laughs) As we've seen in recent examples such as Libertalia becoming Winds of Gelcrest or Colossal Arena becoming Equinox and so many more, a change in theme or presentation is always going to lead to polarizing opinions. While I wish we could satisfy everyone, we ultimately have to follow the most logical branches on the decision tree. And as we all know, that naturally leads to one crowning answer. Indeed, this is the answer to the great mysteries of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The answer? Anthropomorphic animals. (laughs) Alright, I apologize for trolling the naysayers. Do you find, folks, please give me a moment to explain our decision. Our priorities as a publisher are the following, first, to publish a game with a theme and presentation that offers the most hooks to the largest number of backers, so the game can successfully fund and actually reach your table with the best quality possible. I'm sorry, but plain old Roman senators just don't typically stand out in the crowded field of crowdfunding. Our second priority was to design the box and components in a way that lowers the barriers to entry and increases your likelihood of getting it to the table. I'd say there's roughly a 99% chance that if I pull Quo Vadis and any other game off my shelf and let newcomers pick one of the two to play based on their boxes, they will choose the other game. <laughs> So next time you pull a gorgeous box with a vivid theme off your shelf and players go "Ooh!" don't forget how easy it was to get players excited about playing it. Now, to be clear, I was being cheeky earlier, I'm absolutely not saying that all themes should be anthropomorphized, and I can empathize with the exhaustion that comes from too many animals, or too many zombies, or too much Cthulhu in our hobby. But I can assure you that Zuvadus wasn't born from the desire to shoehorn animals into the art. Rather, the solution to our mentioned priorities, while maintaining a theme that was true to the gameplay, was in essence a zoo, where the zoo animals ran the zoo like a civilized Roman government. You have exhibits where species coexist and campaign their way up to the star exhibit. You have laurels being earned from raving fans, the visitors of the zoo, and envious rivals. You have a zookeeper, the Caesar token in the original game, who lets animals advance freely from one exhibit to the next. You have glorious political zoo artwork by Quanchai Moria and and Delicato. This zoo theme even fits the other gameplay changes better than the original Roman Senator theme would have. So when I presented this theme idea to Reiner with a slide, as a solution to the dry-looking theme, I had two pictures on the slide, one of a dining plate from our kitchen. <laughs> it has on it a gorilla dressed up in a fancy suit with a bow tie. The other picture is of the root meeples. So yeah, our initial vision for the art direction of Zuvatis was inspired by Root of Leader Games and a dinner plate. (laughs) So our ideas were to have things like a polar bear with a top hat, or an alpaca with a George Washington wig, or an orangutan with a tie and suit, or an elephant with a a feminine-like bandana scarf, and a lion with a monocle, things like that. And on the next slide, I had listed the benefits of changing the game to Zuvatis. Things like a wider audience appeal, a colorful presentation with maximum table presence, a place to our artist's strengths, it retains the original theme of politicking and elections, and maybe most importantly, despite the occasional meanness, it reminds players that this is meant to be a light-hearted game. And that's the same kind of approach that Root had with its woodland creature setting. And if you've seen any pictures of the final game board of Zuvadas, it's pretty stinking cool. When Quancho was designing this, he actually studied retro zoo maps as inspiration and had the brilliant idea of making the game board an actual zoo map that sits atop a table and is surrounded by objects. And you've likely seen the epic box cover at this point, which is definitely inspired by Drew Struzan style compositions, you know, those old school movie posters with lots of portraits or heads stacked and facing in different directions. But another thing we wanted to do with the art direction was still preserve the Roman roots of the game in its graphic design and zoo architecture. So if you look closely, you can still see a lot of that Roman flavoring within the presentation. The next issue with bringing this game back was blatantly obvious from an analysis of the data. Quo Vadis has the capacity for 3-5 players, which is a narrow count to begin with, yet most players felt like it was essentially a 4-5 to five player game, and as a publisher if you want your game to have legs then you need to make it easy for players to get it to the table and have an enjoyable session. This narrow player count is an even bigger issue when comparable negotiation games such as Bonanza will satisfy its participants from 3 all the way up to 7 players. The numbers from Board Game Geek that we shared with Reiner showed that 75% of gamers do not recommend Quovadis at three players. Most perceived it as a 4 to 5 player game only, and gamers liked it best at higher player counts, meaning five was better than four, which was way better than three. So, how do you address this issue in a pure design like Quovadis? I certainly had some ideas. I suggested two solutions to Reiner, one of them being a neutral senator color. I mentioned things to Reiner like, okay, there could be a figure type, which is designated as a neutral senator and has its own color. Maybe as an action option, players may add or move neutral senators on the board, similar to adding or moving their own. And maybe these senators always vote yes during a committee vote. Another option could have been an alternate game board, where there are less spaces, you know, just a tighter board for three players. And credit where credit is due, the idea of a neutral figure to improve the three-player game came to me as a result of my recent plays of the then-newly-released Renature by Michael Kiesling and Wolfgang Kramer. One of my favorite aspects of Renature is the neutral plant color that players can use in absolute savage ways to negate the area influence of opponents. And if neutral figures can help improve the lower player count experience of an area-majority game, perhaps it could do the same for a negotiation game. I'd also suggested to Reiner that maybe there could be an alternate game board for 6 to 7 players, with larger committees and more spaces for these extra players to use. Basically, for the 6 to 7 player possibility of Quovadis, my thinking was as follows. If you look at the recommended player count stats, like a bell curve, Quovadis is less of a curve and more of a ramp up toward higher player counts that drops off a cliff after 5, because that's all the game supports. If this is currently the kind of game that has a more the merrier vibe to it, then perhaps a game board that supports 6-7 to seven players could work just as well, if not better. My ideas sounded great in theory, but ideas are worth nothing in game design if they aren't properly implemented. Fortunately, I had one of the world's greatest problem solvers ready and eager to conjure an answer. The heavy lifting of these changes came from the design, development, and playtesting all done by Kinetia and his testers. What he eventually came back with was even better than what I had expected. Note, this pattern of Reiner, Quan and Bridget exceeding expectations continues through every aspect of their work on Zu Here is what Reiner wrote to me via email when he first introduced me to the changed rules of Quo Note, while this communication was meant to be a private conversation between designer and publisher, Reiner has granted me permission to share these quotes in this publisher diary. The development was not as straightforward as I expected. It took a lot of testing and exploring until we were finally happy with the current rules. One, we now have a second board for 6 and 7 players. This plays very well. We decided to stay as close to the original design as possible, which helps the orientation when playing with varying player numbers. Two, I wanted to enhance the 3 player game and the 4 player game in a natural way, without the introduction of awkward special rules. We finally found the solution in the neutral figures, which we now use for all player numbers. By varying the number of neutral figures in the game, the tightness of the board can nicely be adjusted to the different player numbers. In addition to bribing the neutral figures for votes, the neutral figures also introduce a nice play option. You can move a neutral figure instead of an own figure, even into the star exhibit to obstruct other players. End quote. I can't help but laugh in noticing that Reiner calls the opportunity to obstruct other players, in essence brutally, blocking someone from even qualifying for victory, a nice play option. It warms my heart to see him stay true to his cold-blooded design tendencies. Anyway, if you look at the original Quavadas board and the new ZuVadas board, you'll notice that this modified map from Reiner features a double sided game board, depending on player count, that elegantly keeps a similar structure as he noted while displaying start spaces for the neutral figures to be placed, also depending on player count. These were all thrilling changes indeed. The neutral figures are introduced in ZuVadas as a fourth action option where you can choose to advance one to the next enclosure, no majority votes needed, and earn one laurel in doing so. Furthermore, you can bribe these figures with a single laurel token, worth 2 points or better, to gain a vote from them when they are in your enclosure and you desperately need the majority support. Perhaps my favorite aspect is that they can also be used savagely to clog an exhibit or even block a player from entering the star exhibit. While deciding what animal the neutral figure should be, my wife Camille brilliantly suggested peacocks as an option. If you've been to a few zoos, then you've likely encountered roaming peacocks who strut up and down visitor paths or in and out of various enclosures as if they own the place. The fact that peacocks can be your greatest ally or your worst nightmare according to the bribes and whims of players is a concept that delights me to no end. After playing and witnessing 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7 player games of Zuvadas, I'm ecstatic to find that all counts are a blast. While I'm generally very sensitive to optimal player counts in games I play, seriously, I'll actively avoid playing games I love if it's not within my preferred player count. Zuvatis is one that I would happily play at the entire range of 3-7 to seven players, thanks to the new game boards, roaming peacocks, and asymmetric animal abilities. But before we get into the animal abilities, let's look at what led us to them. Of all of the 800 comments of user reviews that I read on the Quovadis BoardGameGeek Board Game Geek page, there was one that stood out to me the most. This comment was from CHG21012 and their comment was this, Quote, this is a solid little game, but there's just a little too little to actually negotiate with when it comes down to it. It needs about one extra layer of depth, complexity, and bartering to work. End quote. Now, many Kinesia files, myself included, tend to roll our eyes when anyone suggests that a Kinesia design is too simple or needs more depth or complexity. More often than not, these types of comments are born from a person's single play, i.e., their superficial experience with the game, where they never uncovered these subtle strategic layers lurking underneath. Yet, whether this commenter played Quavadas only once or dozens of times doesn't matter, because in this case, his comment struck a chord. The important thing is that he came into a pure negotiation game with expectations, and Quavadas didn't quite meet those expectations. As a fan of the genre, I totally get what he means. For me, the highest highs of negotiation come from designs like Chinatown or Sidereal Confluence, which offer delicious flexibility in what you can trade and how those deals are made. You get exciting moments like three- or four-way trades between several players at once. With more experience, you realize that future promises can be even more valuable and interesting than immediate exchanges. And you're not simply bribing everybody else with a couple points or a bit of cash, but you're actually exchanging favors. These games are dynamic enough to allow players to creatively conjure value out of nothing for everyone involved in the deal. Contrast this with something like Bonanza or Quo Vadis, and you're more likely to disappoint folks who have tasted the forbidden fruit of more dynamic negotiation games. Don't get me wrong, I think both of these games are great, but the opportunity for strategic negotiations here are much more limited when all you can do is basically trade some beans or offer some votes or points. So when I presented this issue in a slide to Reiner, the slide was titled Limited Negotiations and Gameplay, with two bullet points, first being many players wish there was more to trade or negotiate with, and second, some past variants that add gameplay, such as the special discs from the Mayfair edition, seem to detract from the negotiations. So the question was, how do we keep the purity of Quo Vadis while breaking through that negotiation ceiling? Here was my idea. This next slide that I showed Reiner presented a solution to limited negotiation and gameplay, specifically an advanced variant where there were asymmetric animal ability tokens. The details were this, each animal comes with its own ability and tokens. Ability tokens may be used by the owning player or traded during negotiations. And my idea was that a player who has a more powerful ability has less tokens to spend or negotiate with. Then I threw out a bunch of ideas for him to consider. These ability options included things like a player can enter a committee that is already full. Or when you pass over the Caesar token you still collect the points that are underneath. Or maybe when you vote for somebody else you gain 2 points per vote used instead of 1. Or maybe a token that offers an extra vote, or subtracts a vote, or the ability to draw a Laurel token from the bag and swap it with one that's already out on the board. Or maybe a path blocker that keeps players from advancing along a certain path and has to be removed by Caesar going to that path. Or maybe a token that gives you a second action, or maybe an ability that lets you, when you're moving, skip the next committee and Laurel token. Kinda like a shortcut. Anyway, if you've tried the special discs from Covadus You will recognize that a few of the ideas made it into my proposal to Dr. Knizia, but the key point here was the possibility of turning special abilities into tradable items. If players had rule breaking powers that could be added to their negotiation utility belt, then perhaps the game could reach the highs that that commenter on BoardGameGeek was looking for. This feels like a good time to get back to Reiner's email to me about the new rules. Here's what he said, quote, The asymmetric player powers turned out to be the most difficult part to develop. Originally, they brought the opposite effect to what was desired. They give players more powers and tempted them to do their own thing, diminishing negotiations and cooperation rather than boosting them. The solution was to make the player powers only applicable to other players but not to yourself. This also led to making the player powers non-tradable. They are truly your personal ability, and we really love the variety and interaction they bring into the game. This will go nicely with the individual animal characteristics in Zuvadas. The player powers make the game more dynamic and even more dramatic. Due to the increased urgency, it turns out that we never entered more than 5 senators during the games. Reducing their numbers from 8 to 6 will be safe even for other playstyles and will save a lot of components while widening the player range. Finally, we have used the new features, Peacocks and Powers, as an opportunity to introduce some special Laurel Tokens similar to those allowing an additional Zookeeper movement. After a rather long and time-consuming process, we are now very happy with the results. The additions are elegant enhancements of Kovatis and introduce exciting new features without overloading the play. The features are well tested and we love them." End quote. As the man so often loves to do, Reiner took this interesting idea of asymmetric animal ability tokens that are usable and tradable and he flipped it on its head. Yes, he did add asymmetric ability tokens, but you can't use your powers on yourself. And you can't even trade them to other players. No, Zuvadas is a negotiation game, and the best way to elicit negotiation is to force reliance and interdependence upon the players. So all you can do with your powerful ability tokens is offer to spend your power on another player during their turn. And rather than using my idea of giving a player more power tokens to spend in order to compensate for a weaker power, Players are instead awarded laurel tokens, or points, for spending their abilities on opponents. Thus, players are incentivized to use their abilities on each other. Yet stronger abilities, the ones that can earn you more lucrative deals, reward you with less automatic laurels. From a gameplay standpoint, these abilities are perhaps the most exciting new feature in Zuvadas for how they absolutely blow open the doors of negotiation possibilities. You have things like the Armadillo faction which allows opponents to use their underground tunnels as free shortcuts into higher exhibits. You have the Marmoset faction that, like any good monkey, helps opponents retrieve any laurel token of their choice from the board rather than the weaker token they are advancing over. You have the Rhino faction with the strength to transport 2 figures at once during a movement. And that's only 3 of the 7 powers. I've seen some truly transcendent deals made between players such as the following example. Okay, so Crocodile needs a vote from Rhino in order to advance into the next exhibit. But Rhino is reluctant to offer their support because then Crocodile would advance into the last open space of the next exhibit and block Rhino from entering that exhibit until another animal vacates. In the original version of Quo that would be the end of the story because the voting player would demand too steep of a payment from the advancing player so no deal would take place. Fortunately, this is Zuvatis, and so the crafty crocodile sees a mutually beneficial opportunity thanks to the animal abilities. You see, Ibis is also in that next exhibit that Crocodile and Rhino both wish to enter. And Ibis desperately needs two votes to advance onward, which the three neighboring hyenas have thus far stubbornly refused to offer. So here's Crocodile's proposal to these fellow animals in need. Rhino, if you vote me through, then you can also spend your ability token on me, and I'll use your power to bring you along with me. Since there is only room for one of us, we also need you, Ibis, to spend your ability token on us, which allows an extra animal to enter a full exhibit. Then because you helped us both fit into the exhibit, we'll vote you through Ibis on your next turn. All three parties are happy with this agreement, and the deal goes through. Zuvadas is the endless discovery and thrilling execution of creative negotiations in a more vibrant setting, and for a wider range of group sizes. This kind of experience is exactly what instills in me, and hopefully many fans, an insatiable hunger to play and enjoy many games of Zuvatis. Rather than dilute or detract from what made Quo special, these changes amplify the strengths of the design and help it evolve into its fullest potential. Just like the starry-eyed animals who are aiming to reach the star exhibit and become the zoo mascot, it seems that Quo was always aspiring to be Zuvatis. And that wraps up our publisher diary for Zoo But if you didn't know, the Kickstarter pre-launch page for Zoo is now live. Be sure to follow the link in the description of this podcast and subscribe to be notified on launch day so you don't miss out on this game. Thank you for tuning in, and thanks for supporting Bytewing Games' efforts to create and share board games that bite. My name is Nick Murray, and you've been listening to the Bytewing Games Podcast.